electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. David, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for the Judge Scott Wapner. It is the busiest day of the earnings season, and we're tracking some major moves in the market as the Dow. It tries for an astonishing 14th straight day of gains. Melissa, she just said it. That will be its longest win streak since all the way back in 1897. We have our investment committee standing by to break down the monumental move and the game out where this rally could be headed from here. Join us for the hour. We have Kerry Firestone, Josh Brown, Jim Laventhal, and Rob Seachin. But first, let's get a check on the market at noon Eastern. Off the highs of the day, we're looking at the Nasdaq, still the leader, up just under 1%. The S&P up just under a half a percent. And the Dow holding on into positive territory, up fractionally again, on pace for a 14th straight day of gains. Longest run since all the way back since 1897. We're going to have much more on the Dow's big run-up coming up. But first, let's kick things off with our chart of the day. We're talking what else? Meta soaring on earnings. The company beating estimates across the board while offering up strong guidance. Rob, I'm coming over to you. You're long on Meta. What was your take on this quarter? Uh, I think really positive. Accelerating growth across the board. They, you know, they continue to execute. They highlighted some of their use cases for for AI. Um, Stock's still not expensive. We got long at about 10 times. And, uh, you know, it's trading at 20 times next year, 23 times current. And so I think this is one of those companies that if they can continue to focus on cost and see their core business reaccelerate, which they are, um, you know, it, it should have some more upside relative to the rest of the sector. Yeah, Facebook showing some gains as well. A lot of people thought people were migrating away from that platform. Carrie, you own Facebook as well. Yeah. Uh, Well, what we've seen is what we expected, which is started with cost cutting and cost rationalization. And they had excess employees and they had projects that were very, very unprofitable. So they did all that. And then we were in a recession for digital advertising. And now we're coming out of that recession. We're starting to see better numbers in terms of usage and impressions. The prices are still weak. Prices are still down 18 percent at prices. But once you have demand, you know, kick in for a while, we'll start to see better pricing and that will move the earnings and profitability. Uh, we, we really liked what we saw on Reels. Uh, anything that's to Twitter's detriment is to um, Meta's benefit. And, uh, you know, the, co- the company is still, as Rob said, not expensive. It's 20 times next year's earnings. There are a lot of people who haven't gotten into it. They are looking for a name that's not excessively expensive relative to the market. Meta seems to fill that category. You know, it's a name that people love to hate and now they love to love. I mean, good point. Right now we're seeing UBS, Jefferies, RBC and Mizuho all bumping their price targets to 400 bucks a share for Meta. 
Josh, I'm going to come over to you. Or should I call you Thready Van Halen, Thread Yardeni? <laughs> you were taking a lot. Of, you were giving yourself a lot of titles. I, I want to come to you with the other side of this argument. Just to play devil's advocate because obviously the stock's up big right now. City out with a note with the bear case here. This is City's bear case. Threads not fully fleshed out and uncertainty around how scaling it out will impact Meta's broader ecosystem. Do you have those, those same concerns? I don't think uh, Threads is the reason why the stock is up today. I don't necessarily think that the numbers that Threads is capable of doing in its first year are necessarily material. I think the stock is fine with or without any meaningful uh, contribution from that area. I think you would think about Threads the same way you would think about hardware. Facebook, uh, Meta's hardware division was just atrocious this quarter. Uh, you're talking about down 40% year over year. Uh, the Quest unit found a way to lose $4 billion. I don't even know how that's possible, and yet they managed to. $276 million in revenue. It's a rounding error. It doesn't matter. 98.5% of Meta's business is advertising. The advertising business is re-accelerating, uh, to, to Rob's point. So that's what really matters. If, in fact, something happens with threads where they can somehow sustain the momentum that they got in the first few weeks and they can figure out ad form factors that are, are a winning product for advertisers to stick with, that's great. It's going to be a long time before that's actually a, a, a net contributor. It's more of an interesting thing for people in the media to talk about right now than for people that are investing in the stock. What about Llama? Uh, are you excited about the prospects of Llama? Also, the fact that they're actually going to pick up spending when it comes to data centers and hiring, actually saying they're going to have to hire uh, more higher earning people, engineers, and people to, to build out their AI capabilities. I have to be honest. I'm more excited about things like Llama for my holdings in Amazon, my holdings in Alphabet, because really what that is about is, is the cloud and data centers and my NVIDIA holdings. Those will be, in my view, bigger short-term beneficiaries of the build-out of various AI programs all over the street, much faster than they will accrue to the bottom line of the company like Meta, which I still think they should make that investment. I just don't see that as a profit center anytime soon. Ads is good enough. It's the, best, it's the best ad platform in the world. That's, it's plenty. Like there's, they don't need all these other businesses to kick in and contribute anything meaningful right not, away. Not worried about all the bells and whistles, but uh, are you encouraged by the fact that they actually cut their workforce by 14% and that it doesn't even count all the people they laid off, according to them? Yeah, look, I think it's very rare that you, you could have a company make cuts as, as sharp, as acutely, and, and as quickly as Meta has and actually see revenue reaccelerate. And what that tells you is not that this is some sort of miraculous restructuring. It tells you that the strategy of just throwing as many people, engineers, whatever they were, marketing people, et cetera, throwing as many people as you can into the mix and thinking that's going to grow your company is a bad strategy. It's one of the excesses of the post-pandemic period that we should all be glad we're seeing the end of. You're not going to see companies go back to that next year just because their stock prices are up again. I think it was a really great moment in time for the tech giants to learn that if they want to stay giant, headcount isn't the way to do it. They have figured out they don't need that many people. Margins can be bigger. Share prices can go substantially higher. And they don't have to sacrifice revenue just because they want to uh, reduce the amount of, of headcount. So, Jim, over to you. You're not in this name, but as Kerry mentioned, attractive valuation. They have some AI offerings that they're working on right now in the ad business. Again, pretty strong. 
I, I think the numbers look very good. Uh, congratulations to my friend Rob Seachin. I have to do this for all of 2023 because I <laughs> pinged on him when he made it his stock summit pick. I don't know if you'll ever let me off that, but look, no. So congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. Not, not to, happening until <laughs> 24, buddy. <laughs> congratulations to everyone who owns the stock, and I do think it's attractively priced. Uh, you know, anybody, any one of us on this desk is going to say, look, you don't have to own every stock in the universe. I'm happy with the stocks that I do own. Uh, Meta may well do fine, even though it's up 88% year to date. I have a fundamental emotional belief that I just don't like uh, social media. I don't like what it does to mankind. Now, people can pillory for me, me for that, but it's for the same reason that I haven't owned Philip Morris or tobacco stock in my entire 45 years of investing. And I, I applaud everybody who makes money. I don't judge you. It's just not for me. Kerry, we got to look at both sides of this. Any thoughts about the increase of expenses to build out its AI capabilities? A lot of that on data centers, also on staff, engineers, things like that? I don't know how they can avoid it. I mean, if you're going to go, go all into AI, and, and I think that Meta is one of the companies that one expects to be doing that, then they have to spend the bucks. So it's a very, very profitable business. You know, we look at these companies and the amount of leverage they have um, and high profitability, it's just unbelievable. I mean, that's what software does. It provides enormous margins. So if they have to spend some of it, that's what they've got to do. And and I'm sure they're doing it in an or I hope they're doing it as efficiently as possible. You know, they they don't have a great track record if you look at what they they spent over the last few years. But, you know, I, I think that Zuckerberg and company have gotten some religion about spending. And, you know, it's our belief that, you know, AI is, you know, it, 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 it's coming. It's starting to come to um, to the world. And in order to be a leader, you have to just invest appropriately. Hey, Carrie, it's Josh Brown. Do you agree with me that there's a bigger lesson here, which is that even though Zuckerberg has all the votes here and there were there were concerns that he could you know run it into the ground, spending on the metaverse and there was nothing shareholders could do about it. Um, market based signals still work. When you have a stock like this that gets more than cut in half, um, th there's always the opportunity for a company to change, to make improvements. And it's an, almost yeah. like a, a, a living, breathing example of why you shouldn't give up on a company just because they have a bad quarter, a bad few quarters. I feel like this is like a great reminder for all of us with all of the stocks that we're involved with, how quickly things can turn around. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, it, well, exactly. I mean, I've, I've been doing this most of my life, and I have had so many cases of stocks that we believed in, and I believed in that fell apart. Um, and the reasons would be complicated, some of which were self-induced, but there were other market factors. And, you know, Meta was one of those names that there were many things going wrong. If you if you think about Cambridge Analytics, I mean, many people who own it now don't know what I'm talking about, but there was that whole privacy problem. And drove people away uh, just in hordes. So, you know, they're, they're a somewhat different company, but the base of it was still strong. Look at GE. You know, GE is a stock that everyone, a company everyone loved to hate uh, two years ago. And, you know, look at the chart of GE. I mean, maybe GE will change its name and then, you know, no one will remember that it was, you know, in the doghouse forever. But, you know, that's been an incredible stock. And, you know, we all have these these types of names, and it's it's good to remember what is the reason that you bought it, and go and revisit that 
case and that argument and Steve, see if it's still valid and if it is and the and and you can still trust that it's moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's why we uh, we love this business and the opportunity it gives us. Yeah, MetaShares again hitting a 52-week high up six and a half percent right now. Siege, I want to come back over to you. Uh, is this a broader read on social media, or is Meta just a different story right now when it comes to its ability to continue to grow Facebook while at the same time growing Reels? Um, and the AR business, it doesn't seem to be working right now, but you see mm-hmm. some upside down the road. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, this didn't even get really mentioned, but announcing Quest 3 still coming up later this year, the VR AR headset. So the metaverse doesn't excite us that, that much. What really excited us was price, right? That's why we got involved. Price and change in focus. And they happen to be the beneficiary of some significant economic strength in their, in their ad spend. Uh, Google will be, uh, is the same. But I think you've got to put all this in perspective and why we are valuation disciplined when we're making investments in growth companies. Uh, you know, valuations are high. Markets don't care for now. Um, it seems like there's nothing to stop this momentum train. You know, we have less earnings risk, less Fed risk, and room to get more extended on positioning. But the S&P trades at 20 times next 12 months, and it's expected to grow earnings by only 13%. Um, there's only two times two times, Frank, that it's been that expensive. That is at, uh, during the tech bubble and during the COVID bubble. And frankly, technology trades at 29 times. So this divergence between yields and valuations continues, and uh, we think it can sustain for a bit. But if you're not mindful of price, and Meta allows you to do that, frankly, Google allows you to do that, um, just, uh, you know, despite what you may be, believe about social media and its impact on society, there's still a lot of co- consumption that is happening through that mechanism. And uh, I think as long as you have that growth trajectory, you're going to be able to invest in it until the price becomes too much. Okay? And it's not there yet. All right. We want to stick with Meta right now. We actually have a news alert on Mark Zuckerberg. Let's get to Emily Wilkins in D.C. with those details. Emily. Well, Frank, we have definitely uh, breaking news right now from the House Judiciary Committee. Remember, they were set to vote today on whether or not to begin to hold Mark Zuckerberg in contempt of Congress. A very unusual move, not something that you normally happen with the CEO of a company. But now Jim Jordan has announced that that vote is going to be delayed, that it might not even happen at all. He says that Facebook is now cooperating with the committee and that Meta has handed over various documents about communications between the White House House and Meta. Uh, you can see there in the tweet uh, that he's saying that, you know, while he's not completely canceling this vote and taking off the table, he is willing to delay it for a while because he sees Meta being more helpful in terms of the committee's investigation. And of course, this investigation has been criticized from Democrats for being partisan, but Republicans have had longstanding concerns about social media taking down or removing conservative posts. And so this investigation with Facebook and the Biden White House is all very much tied to Republican concerns that their free speech is being censored. All right, Emily Wilkins in D.C. Emily, thank you very much. Great to see you again, second time today. I want to come back over to you guys. Carrie, I'm going to actually come back over to you. What do you make of this? Um, Mark Zuckerberg not being held in contempt of court. Any reaction to that? Well, it's good for the company and it's good for him. Um, Are these things uh, what the market focuses on intensely? Usually not. 
So um, if you were to uh, poll large meta owners, what was Mark Zuckerberg, you know, doing or thinking about today, I think they'd say something about the company and its fundamentals and not what's going on in Washington. So I think it's good. Um, but I, you know, I just don't think it, it has a material effect to the market generally about these stocks. They're always in Washington about one thing or another. Yeah, it doesn't appear to be affecting the stock in any way right now. Time to switch gears to the other big story of the day, the Fed hiking rates, largely expected. I think really what we have to dissect is the commentary from Jay Powell after the decision. Jim, what did you make of what Jay Powell had to say? Again, data dependent. There was one thing he said that really stuck out to me. He says he doesn't see a cut until uh, a year from now. He's very specific about a year from now. I think a lot of people, uh, including Morgan Stanley, expecting a cut before that. Yeah, I, I have not expected a cut for, for some time. And I think if a cut comes, it will be because inflation comes down faster than expected, as opposed to some recessionary signal uh, that mandates them to, to cut. Obviously, those two things could happen together. You could get a recession that causes inflation to come down. But what I'm really saying is I think the soft landing is in the cards as long as, and here's the punchline, inflation continues to come down rapidly. Um, you know, we're going to have this continuing debate in terms of the data about the core, the super core CPI versus the headline CPI. I understand that. I'm of the opinion that it's really the headline CPI that all of us live in, okay? We actually have to fuel our cars. We actually have to buy food. And if the headline CPI comes down below 3%, I think it's harder for the Fed to raise rates, no matter what the core or the super core is. If that's the case and the Fed's done, being data dependent, I, I think the market can easily um, uh, continue to rally, the economy continue to expand, even at these rates for the next year. Yeah, I think quite a few people share that opinion. Rob, I want to bounce this off you, that Morgan Stanley note I was referencing. It says in part, we continue to see a soft landing for the economy this year with inflation and wages slowly easing as well as job gains. We continue to look for the Fed to hold at the peak rate at 5.375 for an extended period before making the first 25 basis point cut in March of 2024. Do you see it the same way Morgan Stanley sees it? No, I, I think we see that there's the likelihood of another, uh, another hike at a minimum. That's, that, that's our view. We are saying it's data dependent, but right now the data looks incredibly strong, despite the fact that prices are, are moderating. And I don't think the Fed wants to make the mistake of, uh, of Arthur Burns and start too early. I think we need to see a significant disinflationary pressure before, you know, the 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 hiking uh, comes off the table. The, the hiking discussion comes off the table. It's just it, we're not there yet. And, and the beauty of this is the economy, the patient has been incredibly strong. That's mostly about jobs. They're spending. And so when jobs are as strong as they are, you're not going to see a lot of uh, impetus for, you know, a pivot from this yet. There could be a, a longer pause, but there's not an impetus for a pivot unless we see some ugly data. Right. Uh, speaking of Rob's point, I want to bounce this off you, Josh. GDP coming in better than expected, 2.4 percent, topping the estimate of 2 percent. I think more important than any in individual economic data point, especially one like GDP, um, which is clearly in the past and prone to revision. Let's just look at how the yield curve is acting. We're getting steepening today. I think this is the really big thing here. Um, all of the yields across the entire curve are north of 4%, except for the 10-year. Uh, that's the, the, the belly of the curve at 3.95, I think. Um, but think about this. Right now, the five-year is up 12 basis points to 4.2-ish. 
um, the one month, the four month, they're all 5.4-ish. When you get yield curve steepening of the magnitude that we're seeing and you get that inverted yield curve down below 1%, which, believe it or not, is it's extreme for most periods of time. For right now, it's actually pretty uh, mild. When you get that, it tells you that there is a concerted wave of belief washing over everyone all over the world. Keep in mind how big the Treasury market is, um, that we really could conceivably have a scenario where we have the last of the rate hikes. Maybe we have, maybe there's one more, five and a half, five spot seven five on overnight rates. You don't have a collapse in the housing market because of lack of inventory. You don't have a wholesale collapse of the labor market just because of demography, and you get this situation where we grow accustomed to an actual positive uh, uh, interest rate, and the economy still finds a way to grow. I'm not saying it's like a done deal forever. I'm saying if that's the environment for the next six months to a year, and that's what the bond market looks like it's coming around to, stocks can continue to work against that backdrop. You've got three uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average stocks making 52-week highs right now, today. Um, that's pretty rare, actually, that you get that many in one shot. But think about this. Boeing, Cisco, Walmart, what do they have to do with each other? Absolutely nothing. So you, you've really got a nice dispersion of returns across different sectors. You've got it with a steepening yield curve in the bond market. You've got declining volatility in stocks. And you've got some of the more bearish strategists coming around to the possibility that we don't have to have a recession this year. It's a nice environment to be in. It's been a while. So, Jim, he says GDP doesn't matter, but bond yields did rise after that GDP report. Well, look, GDP, it's not only that it's backwards looking. I mean, it's, it's now, you know, we're going back to almost three months ago, but it gets revised uh, quite rapidly uh, and in big moves. And, you know, but in the meantime, more real term statistics like jobless claims are showing that the labor market is still strong, which is going to support consumption and future GDP. But something that Josh said that I just want to corroborate is this idea of real positive yields across the yield curve. Like, that's what the world was before 2008. Let me pause for effect there. I mean, for decades before 2008, the world existed with positive real yields across the yield curve. And guess what? You had periods of time like 1982 to 1999, which was a phenomenal bull run, culminating in five years of about 25% per annum returns in the S&P 500. So this goes back to what I said a second ago, Frank, that like we don't have to fear that the Fed doesn't cut rates and that kills this economy. The economy can do just fine with interest rates. I would actually. I agree. I would actually argue the last thing you should be looking for right now is, is a rate, rate cut cuts. because yeah, that that would be indicative of, oh, wow, they need to cut rates so soon after hiking this many times. It, you know, it, while, it, while we're having this bond conversation, Rob, give me a second. I actually want to play some sound for you guys. I'm going to get your reaction. This is from Jeff Gunlock yesterday talking about his outlook when it comes to bonds. Back last September at an event, I said, I think eight rates of the tenure's already peaked. And I was right. Uh, that's the 10-year has, has been very, very calm and is not, not even that, it's fairly far below where its peak was. I mean, it's about 40, 40 50 basis points below. And even the two-year Treasury has peaked. Uh, with the Fed raising rates, you know, since the uh, regional bank crisis, it hasn't put the two-year into any sort of form of distress. So, yeah, I think rates have peaked. All right, that's Jeff Gunlock saying it's peak. We got to go. I just want to go down the line really quick. Rob, agree, disagree? Listen, it's because of the disinflation that we've seen. It all depends on if it continues at that pace. Obviously, that's what ha that what's happened in my mind. 
There's one wild card when we talk about rates staying at this level is making sure the regional banking system in particular doesn't have a spasm because of that. So far, the Fed's shown that they can handle that. Josh, quick one. We had a blow off top in rates in March. Then we had the, the banking crisis. We still haven't seen uh, rates get back to those levels, and they probably won't. Kerry, last word, then we got to run. Oh, gosh. You know, rates rates have been a mystery uh, in part this year. And, you know, as long as the Fed feels comfortable about, you know, feeling that it's data dependent and we might not have to raise again, that's good with me. All right. That's going to leave the conversation there. Tenure right now at 3.95, rising about 10 basis points today. All right. Still ahead, new rules in play for the big banks, the details, plus the committee's take on where to be in financials. That's coming up next on Halftime. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. We're seeing it there. The Dow on track for a 14-day winning streak, longest since 1897. Welcome back to Halftime. We have some fresh news on the banks breaking today. Let's get to our Leslie Picker with those details. Leslie. Hey, Frank. These are the highly anticipated Basel III endgame rules that are expected to raise capital requirements for a wide swath of mid-sized to large banks. The Fed, the FDIC, and the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency are revising the capital framework, essentially the formula for assessing the riskiness of each firm to determine a new higher buffer to protect against financial stress. These changes would result in an aggregate 16 percent increase in common equity tier one capital requirements. The effects vary for each bank based on activities and risk profile. And regulators say most banks currently have enough capital to meet these requirements. A big change if these rules are implemented would involve the way riskiness is calculated. Regulators are proposing that banks scrap their internal models in lieu of new standardized ones for risk weighted assets, as well as an expanded one that includes four elements, credit risk, 
market risk, operation risk, and credit valuation adjustment risk. That's essentially losses on certain derivative contracts or potential losses. The proposal also includes several elements in response to the recent turmoil in March and April, expanding the scope of certain regulations to include mid-sized banks with assets as low as $100 billion. Now, none of this will go into effect immediately. There's a comment period through the end of November, and the banking sector is expected to push back. The final version of the rules will not be fully phased in until July 1st, 2028. So not quite the end game, but close to it, Frank. All right, Leslie, thank you very much. Our Leslie Picker. All right, Jim, you have the most exposure here. What's your take on this? Really focused on tier one capital. Again, long horizon for this to take effect, 2028. Yeah, I mean, I, we're four and a half months downstream from Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and all of that. And since that moment in time, the market, I, anyone who's invested in financials, has expected higher capital requirements. So this is not a surprise. Frankly, the time frame in which we're going to have comments on this, pushback, uh, and then eventual implementation means that anything that's being proposed today is not even close to what the final form is. However, we should expect capital requirements to go up. Um, I, don't, I don't want to sound like a school marm, but that's probably a good thing, right? Because we continue whenever, you know, the Fed raises interest rates or something funny goes on in the economy to have some bank on the margin that has problems. Is this going to change dramatically the return on equity for a JP Morgan, Citigroup, Wells Fargo? I doubt it. Uh, on the margins, it will change it a little bit, but it's really not going to change the investment thesis here. Put simply, these stocks are very cheap, right? now in part because of expectations of higher capital requirements. Rob, you got some exposure too. You own JP Morgan. You're also making some trim in the financial space. Uh, trim's really in Jeffries and it's really because of a price move that we've seen, a valuation move that we've seen 50% over the last seven weeks. So just just trimming that exposure. JP Morgan's one of our largest holdings. Um, it's woken up recently. It's moved from 1.2 times book to 1.6 times book. Frankly, it's one of the best franchises in the space and we're going to continue to own it and and Wells also is relatively cheap. I think the important thing is the stress test should not bother these big banks. Um, we have gone through a period where these two banks, Wells and JP, were among the best performers in the space from a stress test standpoint. Their capital was barely impacted in a severe downturn scenario. And so you have that margin of safety. Plus, there's been this pickup in that they're able to pay a lot less for deposits. And so their net interest margin spread that they make on loans is pretty significant rel relative to their competitors. They hold all the cards right now, these banks. Josh, give you the last word on this. You own J.P. Morgan as well. Yeah, uh, J.P. Morgan funds, its, funds itself very cheaply. That's the big difference between a very small handful of these larger banks that we talk about and pretty much everyone else. And that difference has been a very important distinction in terms of which stocks have worked well this year and which stocks haven't. I don't think that changes anytime soon. I'm also in Berkshire Hathaway. It's eight or nine points away from an all-time high set in March of 2022. I think it does break above that high. Think about the businesses that Berkshire has been focusing investment on lately. Uh, obviously, uh, energy stocks, they've made huge uh, open market stock purchases in some very large energy companies. Apple is the biggest holding. Apple is about a quarter of the market. There are stake in Apple is a quarter of Berkshire's market cap. It's about half the equity portfolio. And uh, I think if you think about where they make their money and how, you think about the environment that we're in right now, from a macro standpoint, 
That is a stock that can continue to work its way higher this year. So I actually like Berkshire, not only in the long term, but the short term as well. Yeah, check on financials right now in the red down almost a half a percent. All right, time now for the headlines with our Bertha Coombs. Bertha. Hey, Frank, another indictment of Donald Trump may be imminent. Three sources with direct knowledge of the situation telling NBC News that lawyers for former President Trump are meeting with prosecutors in the special counsel's office today and have been told to expect an indictment against the former president. Mr. Trump announced last week that he was the target of the grand jury investigation into the January 6th riot and efforts to overturn the 2020 election. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un met with the Russian defense minister to discuss military cooperation. Korea's central news agency said Kim took the minister on a tour of North Korea's newest weapons and briefed him on plans to expand the country's military capabilities. The regime invited delegations from Russia and China to attend the anniversary celebration of the armistice that ended the Korean War. And a group of bipartisan senators is coming together to make sure Americans have access to prescription drugs. They introduced legislation today to boost drug stockpiles by increasing drug manufacturing here in the U.S. Their measure is in response to a March report that found nearly 300 medications, some of them life-saving, are in short supply nationwide, including, Frank, a widely used generic cancer drug, cisplatin, that is manufactured here, but that's had some manufacturing issues, so people have had to look abroad to replace it. All right, Bertha, thank you very much. Our Bertha Coombs back in Wood Cliffs. Coming up next, today's biggest earnings movers, including one stock popping over 15% this session, also hitting a 52-week high. Kerry owns it. The reaction coming up next on Halftime. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime. Lots of earnings movers today. Let's get into it. Align Technology, a big winner, up double digits, hitting a new 52-week high. Carrie, you own this name. Yes, and we're very pleased about the reaction. Uh, what we've seen with Align is a company that post-COVID, well, even through COVID, really suffered because people weren't spending as much on uh, an expensive discretionary item that you had to go to the dentist to receive. And then China, there was a slowdown. Well, now they appear to have turned a corner. They've raised guidance somewhat. Um, not only do they have the, um, the clear liners, but there's a lot of scanning equipment and services they provide to a broader range of uh, practices. And, you know, we think that the earnings are really going to start to accelerate. And we believe that this is a stock that was over 700 and it went um, into, you know, we, we bought it uh, in the 200 area uh, and it's come a long way, but it has more to go. Yeah, we're we're very has. pleased about this report. I would imagine shares up 17% right now. We're also looking at McDonald's. Shares are higher after an earnings beat. Rob, you own this one. 
We do. And the ice cream machines seem to be working at McDonald's right now. The Grimace uh, Shake. That's what it's all about that, right now. That is actually the whole the whole birthday meal. So um, international markets have done well. Forward PE is is a little high, but they've seen this drop in operating costs and expenses. And uh, it's not really more expensive than it's been. So the fact that they're, you know, you need profits to deliver, they're delivering. And so I think it was good. Good yeah. report. Yeah, strong time for the restaurant space in general. Uh, according to Bank of America, fast food sales up 5% in June alone. Be- beneficiary of still, a, I, I think there's still a little bit of a trade down, too, that's happening. Yeah, so. same, same point they're making. All right, also look at the payment space. MasterCard hitting a new record high in early trading today. Also coming in with an earnings beat. Rob, you also own this one. Yeah, top and bottom, top and bottom line beat. One of our one of our favorite positions. Uh, you know, you have uh, uh, huge operating margins among the most attractive uh, businesses in our portfolio, and 50% free cash flow yeah, margins. But, but down a percent. You know, the reality of it is, we still want to hold through that. So there was nothing in there that scared us out of the position. All right. Straight ahead here on half, another big earnings report to watch next week. We're talking Apple, how the committee is positioned as one top analyst, ups his price target on the stock. Halftime back right after this. We are back with our call of the day. We're talking Apple. Bernstein upping its price target to 195 from 175, saying it's cautious on the stock into earnings next week, but see some area of potential upside. Their rating remains market perform. Shares up 50% this year. The entire committee owns it. Carrie, I'm going to start with you. You actually trimmed some Apple a few weeks ago. Well, we trimmed a little Apple about six weeks ago. And you know, we thought that it was getting a little pricey. Of course, it's gotten pricier. And anyone who's cut back on their Apple over the last year has made a mistake. Um, so what do we think here? I mean, the market considers Apple both a defensive stock and an aggressive stock. You want to play growth, you play Apple. If you want to play value or something, you know, like a bank in defensive, you play Apple. So it's really hard in this type of market to bet against it. Uh, on the other hand, there's almost nobody who's overweight Apple. So we own it, but we're underweight. I mean, to be overweight Apple and Microsoft, you know, you're going to have 15 percent of your um, your portfolio in a couple of names. So it's you know, it, it, it's hard to be overweight, and it's got the the problem that every global company has: it's consumer spending in China, consumer spending everywhere. Phones are expensive; they're discretionary. On the other hand, people choose the discretionary uh, money that they you know they prefer to buy an, an iPhone than almost anything else. So, so it's really hard to 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 bet against it and think that the quarter won't be good. But on the other hand, it's not a cheap stock. You know, anything over you know 30 times earnings in this market, with where, where the growth is not exceeding that level by any means. Uh, you know, it's the biggest company in the world. Okay. So Carrie's underweight. She's worried about valuation. Jim, you own it as well. Where are you at? 
Yeah, I, I have about a 5% weighting in my portfolio, Frank, which is versus about 7% in the S&P 500. I'm underweight as well. Um, I'm not going to sell shares here simply because of the technical flows that come into the market. If it goes into passive indexes, uh, that's going to go right to Apple. Apple buys back shares, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but by the same token, I'm comfortable being underweight and being overweight in other non-tech-oriented uh, portions of the market. I think the, the cross-current here is people look at the last five years of returns annualizing 33%. Uh, versus 12% for the S&P 500, and they think that's going to continue for the next five years. I kind of doubt that. I mean, I, just the, yeah. give, me, give me one second. I agree with that. Just give me one second. The law of large numbers kind of says it's not going to happen. The analyst community thinks the five-year projection of earnings growth is 10%, and you're paying 30 times multiple. It's a peg ratio of three. I'm not saying sell Apple, but I just don't think this is the market leader. Sorry, Josh. No, I, I was going to agree with you. You, you can like the stock but not love the, the current setup. Look at Microsoft, mm -hmm. had a great quarter, and uh, reported in the stock immediately a raise three, four bucks. You could definitely see something similar with Apple. They report a great quarter. They have good guidance. Everyone likes what they had to say. But look at the run-up into that. So uh, you, you can hold those two opposing thoughts in your head at the same time. Technically, on Apple, resistance all year had been uh, 179, 180. She broke out of that range. That would serve as the new support in my mind. So if you think, like, maybe there's 10, 15, dollars in risk down in Apple, I don't know how quickly it can add 10 or 15 dollars to the upside. So I don't love the setup for new money here either. Steve, last word? Think about it. It's too uh, expensive to be overweight. It's too well run to be underweight. We're neutral, but think uh, neutral to the Russell 1000 growth in our growth portfolio is 13 percent. Okay. That is so significant, and that's what endorses mm -hmm. Jim, Jim's point. If you have those flows, it's going to continue to head higher. So I don't want to be either side of that. All right. We got to end the conversation there. Apple earnings coming up on August 3rd. Stay with us. The committee's making moves. We'll start with Josh's latest buy. That's coming up next on Halftime. Back to halftime, as you can see, the Dow continuing its 14-day win streak, longest since 1897. All right, time now to get some investment committee moves. Josh, you have a new buy. You know those, like, really dumb people in your life who think they're smart and nobody, like, ever... <laughs> no, but you know what I... You know what I... Like, the people that are, like... That, like, they heard something on TV and they just, like, repeat it to everyone because... So, this is a great by the setup. way, if you don't know who that person is, you're probably it. But it might ahead, be Josh. me for some people, to be honest with you. It might be me for some people. Uh, commercial real estate. The dumbest people I know who think they're smart love to tell me about how much trouble commercial real estate is and how effed the office market is and on and on and on because they heard other smart people say that six months ago. They latched onto it as a soundbite. And when they're in the moment at a cocktail party, that's like the go-to. Oh, yeah, okay. office real estate. All right. But they're... In real life, they're not that smart. Here's what's going on. It's a very challenged period of time if you're in office real estate. Probably going to suck for at least a year, maybe longer, as everyone adjusts to this new reality where B and C-class buildings can't get arrested and all of the quality tenants move themselves into the few A buildings in every city. It's going to look worse than it really is. Empire State Realty uh, Trust, this is a REIT. Basically, it's the Empire State Building, but publicly traded. I own it. I walked by. 
I bought it uh, yesterday. I walked by my property uh, this morning. I rubbed my hand alongside of it as I moved around the corner, 34th Street and 5th. Long story short, this is a stock that's been uh, a REIT that's been cut in half for very good reason. It's a tough business, but this is an A building. Actually, it's the most famous piece of real estate on planet Earth. It's the, the uh, two years in a row, the second most widely visited uh, tourist attraction, according to somebody. Uh, but most importantly. Wait, what? Come on, Josh. <laughs> forget about that. This, this is the most colorful setup for a talk about REITs wait in, till, in human history. Fr Frankie, wait till they give me my own show. You have no idea. <laughs> All right, listen, here's what I want you to know. The dividend is safe. Actually, they're also buying back shares in the open market last quarter. They reported last night. They had, they're having a conference call, I think, during our show. So I didn't listen to it. But the stock's going up. I assume it's good. The Empire State Building will be fine. They have some other properties. They got rid of something in wow. Westchester. They own some residential. But mostly, it's, it's the Empire State Building. 90% occupancy for their commercial real estate. It's OK. It's a very depressed valuation. I plan to hold this for at least two or three years. Don't follow me into it for a trade. It's not what this is. It's an income plus total return vehicle. <laughs> My Josh, goodness. By the way, anybody cares, the yield's one and a half percent. That amazing. I'm going to clap for you. I don't know how you did that. We're it's talking a, about a read, everybody. It's a two billion dollar. It's a two billion dollar market cap. It's it's a tiny read as far as reads go. It's mostly this one really important piece of property. Um, don't, even I tell you even what, when you get your show, don't put this in the A block. Put no. this down a little further. We're going to move on. <laughs> the whole show is next on the busiest day of earnings season. We have this set up on a few stocks to watch. Halftime. We'll be right back. This will no more read talk. We're going to move on past it. Stay with us. <laughs> Welcome back. Exxon on deck with earnings tomorrow before the bell. Jim, you own this one. Exxon Mobil starts with the letter E, same letter that starts at Empire State Realty Trust, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> um, Exxon Mobil, look, a lot, a lot of people, sorry. Come to sorry. Jim, you got to be serious. Do you have, do you have, okay, do you okay, have okay, dumb okay, friends, okay. My, too? My fault, my fault, my fault. A lot of people um, look at Exxon Mobil and they say, look, this stock stinks. It's done nothing all year. Calm down, all right? The three-year return on this annualizes to 44%. When you have that sort of a gain, there is a consolidation period that inevitably follows. That's what we're in right now. Now, it's probably going to break out, not just because of the valuation, looking at multiples or dividends or share buybacks, but because we're going to be refilling the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. China is likely to stimulate its economy, and our economy is doing a lot better than expected. So demand's going up. Supply is hard to find. ExxonMobil is in a good spot. Remember that scene in Sleepless in Seattle on the Empire State Building? Where they, where, they, where they meet for a kiss at the, right? Uh, final trades. They're coming up next on halftime. Stay with us. Josh, continue your story. You're no, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Welcome back to halftime. Time now for final trades. Carrie, you are first up. Uh, thanks, Frank. So Charter Communications may have turned the corner. It has had a tough couple of years, and the stock is now 10 times earnings. Uh, the market didn't like their expansion of capital spending on the rural development of um, cable networks, but we think it's a good move over the long term, and we like the stock here at this price. Siege? We bought AMSL on Tuesday, still like it. Most essential hardware company in the ecosystem. 
They have the most advanced chips and a 100% market share in advanced lithography. Jim. General Motors reported two days ago, had an enormous beat, raise, everything's going great there, and yet the stock went down. You still have the opportunity. It's coming back now. It's back to where it was before the earnings report, which, again, was fabulous. So here's your opportunity. Josh, last word. I think we'll get record earnings and revenue from Live Nation when they report tonight. I don't know what the stock reaction will be, but I think the business is on fire. Uh, so wish me luck. All right. We'll let you go. The Dow up 100 points, still on track for a record-tying 14-day win streak. Rest of the market higher, too, as well as bonds. Taking a look at those. That's going to do it for halftime. The exchange it starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis, but Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.